Guys, mental health is something that Dan and I are extremely passionate about, which is why it excites us to say that we are partnering with BetterHelp for sponsoring this episode and our podcast. BetterHelp is the world's leading therapy service, and it's 100% online. With BetterHelp, you can tap into a network of over 30,000 licensed and experienced therapists who can help you with a wide range of issues. To get started, you just answer a few questions about your needs and preferences in therapy. That way, BetterHelp can match you with the right therapist from their network. Then you can talk to your therapist however you feel comfortable, whether it's via text, chat, phone, or video call. You can message your therapist at any time and schedule live sessions when it's convenient for you. If your therapist isn't the right fit for any reason, you can switch to a new therapist at no additional charge. With BetterHelp, you get the same professional and quality you expect from in-office therapy, but with a therapist who is custom-picked for you, more scheduling flexibility, and at a more affordable price. Get 10% off your first month at BetterHelp.com slash BacksideGroundBalls. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P, dot com slash BacksideGroundBalls. by Riverside. Welcome back to episode 89 of the Backside Ground Balls podcast. We apologize for all our loyal fans. We're coming to you here on a Saturday morning. We're recording on a Friday night here, and obviously we would prefer to drop episodes on a Friday, but because of the LSU versus Wake series that ran a little bit longer, and Dan and I do in fact still have jobs to do on Friday morning, uh, we decided to push it back and record on Friday night. So we are going to drop this episode on Saturday, but we are going to talk a little bit about the LSU and the Florida series as well as what we saw in the Wake Forest versus LSU games, and then also some a little bit more talk big picture about Wake Forest. So as always, I'm joined by my co-host, Dan Galati, as well as our producer, Phoebe. Dan, what a week of baseball. Yeah, this tournament's been outstanding. And, uh, you know, I feel like I've now said that three times on this podcast, but it's been awesome it's been just a a blast to watch anyone who loves baseball all these games have been down to the wire close um really good pitching really good defense really good offense some bad of all of the three two which just makes it fun um some controversial calls some big moves a lot of uh eyes on it so there's a lot of social media attention brought to it uh it's been absolutely outstanding and um, that game last night between Wake and LSU was just if you're if you didn't have a dog in that that fight, just one of the most enjoyable baseball games that you could ever you know sit down and watch with two outstanding arms on the mound, um, two great teams, and we're set up for another series um, in the national championship, Florida and LSU, two more just absolute juggernauts with talent across the field. It's been it's been great. Yeah, and, and obviously we definitely want to talk about the 
LSU versus Florida final that we're going to experience this weekend. But I want to first start it off with obviously a little bit of credit to the Wake Forest Demon Deacons and Coach Walters and company. Uh, Man, I mean, coming into the week, I think there was a lot of talk, at least self-talk between myself, little talk between you and I about just how impressive this has been, impressive what Wake Forest has built, impressive what they've been able to do. And I had even started to think to myself a little bit that is Coach Walter getting his name up there for the best coach in the country? Um, And the reason for that is not anything to do with, well, has he won a national championship or not, or how close they got this year in comparison to others. It's simply a matter of the fact that what they are able to do with the resources they have, obviously we know about the lab, but you're not talking about an in-state school. You're not talking about a public school for that matter. It's a private institution that obviously is very expensive and non-fully funded sports and being able to recruit nationwide and really just prioritize player development. I mean, what the Wake Forest Demon Deacons have shown on the mound and and coach Jay Johnson did say this in his post-game presser last night was they have seven legitimate big league arms. Obviously, Rhett Louder is the top name from that. Josh Hartle is a guy who could potentially make Wake Forest the three-time reigning ACC Pitcher of the Year place. And then Michael Massey comes out of the pen and is the best pitcher we've seen all year outside of Paul Skeens. I mean, it was at least the way he looked last night, knowing his statistics. And obviously, Cole Rowland and then Camden Manassi, like, Those are guys that can play at the next level, and we haven't even mentioned Sean Sullivan and Seth Keener. And being able to do that with the resources is super impressive, and and definitely what Wake Forest is building right now is something to be proud of, and this run itself is something that everybody who supports the Demon Deacons from inside and outside that program is definitely excited about. Yeah, and and obviously because of Colin, we have some – Inside information, I guess, is, you know, it's, that's the way you want to put it. We have some background knowledge, at least, of, of Coach Walter and how the program is run and obviously the school and what it's about. And um, So we were biased. I think we were both pulling for Wake Forest. And, you know, I certainly was um, just because of that reasoning and, and talking to a guy like Les Johns this year and, 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 you know, getting to see them play in the regular season and just what a good story they were. And I just love that team and how they're built. Cause obviously, I love pitching and. It's, it's really impressive, and why wouldn't Coach Walter be up there as one of the top coaches in the country? I mean, you think about who the top coaches are in the country. You know, everyone obviously goes right away to Corbs, um, Coach O'Sullivan, you know, guys like Jay Johnson, uh, Tony Vitello is probably another name. Um, and there's a, there's a, it's a long list of, of really, really good coaches in college baseball. But, you know, you look at what Coach Walter has done and, and – you know, he's been to super regionals. He's consistently had that program in positions to be, you know, a recognizable brand, able to recruit, like you said, nationwide. They do a terrific job in the Mid-Atlantic. I mean, you look at guys like, you know, Danny Corona, who's a New York kid who's down there at Wake Forest playing ball. And, you know, to say that a kid goes from, you know, Lancaster, Pennsylvania, like Nick Kurtz or, or Long Island, New York, like Danny Corona and goes to a Vanderbilt, that's one thing, right? That's a big brand. That is obviously, you know, people who don't follow college baseball know how good Vanderbilt is in in the college uh, baseball space. And you're in a city like Nashville to get them to go to a school like Wake Forest, where there's 8,500 kids, you know, someone like Colin Palouse from Middletown, Delaware to get someone like that to go to a school where there's only 8,500 kids 
and Winston-Salem, North Carolina, you've got to be good at your job, right? And um, you got to be good at recruiting at least. And, and uh, you know, obviously they play in a really good baseball conference and that helps, but what he has built there and just kind of the culture and our understanding of how things are done there just from Collins' experiences um, and who Coach Walter is as a person when you talk to people around that program, yes, he is one of the best coaches in the country. I think it's pretty simple for me. Yeah, no doubt about it. And I think what's even more impressive is their talent identification um, in part of that talent acquisition. Like the broadcast talked about it multiple times. Rhett Lauder was 82 to 84 in high school or 78. And, you know, Josh Hartle was a slam dunk. He's a Winston-Salem kid. He wanted to go to Wake Forest. But, you know, Sean Sullivan was a transfer guy. Seth Keener wasn't exactly a superstar coming out of high school. Nick Kurtz was brought in as a pitcher. Right. So all of these guys that weren't the Gavin Gidrys and Griffin Herrings of the world, uh, they weren't these highly recruited kids. I'm sure they were highly recruited, highly recruited to stretch, but MLB draft level recruits. Right. None of these kids are choosing between the MLB draft and Wake Forest. Whereas when you talk about the LSUs and the Floridas of the world, these guys are. And when these guys get to the point where they're stepping not only on the field, so like development's one thing over the course of the years, but every guy that they put out there on the mound specifically is major league, not major league, minor league ready, right? They take these kids that might not necessarily be the MLB level draft guys out of high school and turn them into legitimate dudes within a short window of time, depending on the guys. I mean, we've seen, you know, guys in their first year on campus make impacts there. And I think as I kind of digest what they've been able to build, and I was visibly and physically rooting for this team. Um, I think that all things considered with the connections we have with Colin, obviously having less on here, and that's not a we loved having Leo on here as well. And we very much supported <laughs> LSU up until that point. Um, but with everything and our close ties to the Wake Forest program, it was very easy to root for this team. And they were a bunch of, obviously LSU fans made a whole shtick on social media about some of their, you know, what college kids do um, and use that as fuel or whatever. But I think when you saw the respect that not only coach Jay Johnson, Tommy White, Dylan Cruz, Paul Skeens, those guys lauded this Wake Forest team and, and what they were made of and, and how they were built. I think that says a lot about what this Wake Forest team is and how much respect they have from their peers. Yeah, and, and as they should, right, they were dominant from start to finish this year. And um, I know they were the number one, over, but it wasn't necessarily an upset last night because Wake LSU was the number one team in the country and um, for 75% of the year. And then Wake was number one for the last quarter of the year. And, and LSU certainly has the talent, right? We talked about this on last episode when we were talking about just kind of the pitching staffs and the way that the two teams have developed pitchers um, and how it seemed like Wake had done a better job. So LSU has the probably like higher regarded players. I mean, shoot, they have got, they have two guys who could probably go one, two in the draft this year in cruising schemes. Um, and if you listen to ESPN, I think Paul Skeens has his Cooperstown induction in August. I think they, they, they're just going to skip his big league career and go right in. I know if it was up to call Ravage, that would be the case. Um, 
because you know and and that's part of the reason why we're talking about wake right now is because we thought everybody had had enough of paul Skeens last night and the lsu love from the espn booth so we're gonna you know talk a little bit more about wake right now but yeah i mean this this listen this program is 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 doing a great job now i think that they are kind of in some senses behind the eight ball. I don't know what the right term is. You know, they don't have the full advantages that some of these programs in the SEC yeah. necessarily have. And that's, you know, there's a lot of factors that go into it. The size of the school is one of them. You know, the fact that it's in the ACC, not the SEC. I mean, this is nine of the last 14 national champions now come from the SEC, four consecutive, four different champions out of that conference. You know, the, the SEC is a really powerful sports conference, right? Those schools, this is what they do. Um, so, you know, when you look at Wake Forest on the, on the you know, the national scale, are they going to be right back in this situation next year? No, that's what I, I, I you can't say it for sure um, because of just all the things that go into getting, you know, winning 55 games in Division yeah. One baseball and getting to Omaha. I mean, Vanderbilt's not there this year. Vanderbilt was had a great year. Vanderbilt was one of the top teams in the top five all year. They didn't make it to Omaha. It's too hard to just say – oh, this is a, a College World Series team. That's why it is tough when you see a team like that lose and you feel for those guys, you know, any of these guys. You feel for them when, when you know, you know what they put into it. And, you know, I know not everybody feels that way, but I'm a little bit of a softy, I guess. And and I know how, you know, how much the, those guys care. And um, they had a fantastic year. And I'll ask you this because of kind of the resources um, that we're talking about here. You know, I don't know if you got to see Jay Johnson's presser last night, but he he made a statement of if you're one of the best players in the country and you want to transfer, there's only one place to transfer to, something like along those lines. I don't necessarily need to debate it as hot topically as, as people on social media are doing because they're handling that. But when you look at a program like Wake, you know, we've seen obviously – you know, what they've done with freshmen coming in as high schoolers and develop them, developing them. Brett Louder, you know, you mentioned all the names. Brett Louder, Michael Massey, uh, Josh Hartle. Well, this probably what it does do, and, you know, Coach Fulmer from Oral Roberts mentioned this. There's a window right now that Wake Forest is in where they could be making some phone calls to some pretty prominent players in the portal, and they're, in a, they're an attractive destination, especially if you're a pitcher. Don't you think that this could also open the doors for? Yeah, they did have their portal additions, but you got a kid from Dartmouth, you got a kid from Northwestern. They're not necessarily baseball. Players. I'm talking more so the kid that's walking out of of Alabama, the kid that's walking out of Georgia, the kid that's walking out of potentially TCU. Wake Forest isn't such a bad spot to land. They have a window here to go to go get it. Don't don't you feel that way as well? Yeah, I mean Seaver King, who they brought in from Wingate, is a stud. Like stud, like keep that name in your back pocket. He got invited to try out for the collegiate national team, which hopefully me and you will be able to lay eyes on um, at some point this summer up in Cary. And that's something to keep in mind. And to be honest with you, where I worry about Wake Forest specifically, um, and this is kind of something that I, I guess we can talk about it now because I did want to talk about it during the game itself. But when you look at why they lost and maybe where their shortcomings were recruiting shows up in offensive talent right and not anything against the guys that played for wake forest but obviously once nick kurtz had the injury and went down and did not play 
Brock Wilkins struggled. It's baseball. It's going to happen. That's okay. Where do you go from there? And Justin Johnson had a great year. Tommy Hawk had a great year. These are all great players. There's no denying that. But physically, physically when you're facing guys like Paul Screens, even if they would have won this weekend, a Hurston Waldrop, a Brandon Sproke, they just don't look physically gifted enough to hang at that level. So I think specifically the transfer portal could do them a huge favor in adding guys that are legitimately national championship level players. And again, I, I don't know, maybe I was just caught up in the moment of Paul Skeens but, and what he did and then Thatcher Heard, what he did. But I just felt like for a team that hit as well as they did, it lacked a lot of depth. And I, again, I don't know if that comes from the ballpark they played in this year, and that helps with the balloon baseballs, and then you go to a graveyard like Omaha, a graveyard, and you have to face elite pitching. But it just felt lacking in terms of the true, true major league talent that you need to win a national championship in the college game offensively. On the mound, they're better than anybody, better than anybody. What Coach Muscara, what the analytics team, and what that pitching lab and Coach Walter, what they've built is a top-notch program. They can get any pitching prospect, any pitcher across the country to come in there, and they're probably going to want to sign up. But where Wake Forest needs to get and what they really should be targeting in a transfer portal addition is somebody who's proven to be that level of talent offensively. Say, come here. We play in a bandbox. You'll break Brock Wilkins' record in a week, and we'll compete for a national championship. I'd be interested to see how they can handle that. Yeah, and I would almost think that your observation was less about what Paul Skeens was doing in that matchup and more so what it looked like when LSU's offense came to the plate, right? It almost felt like there were more opportunities for Skeens to breathe in that lineup than it was when you when you you know when yes. Dylan Cruz followed by Tommy White followed by Trey Morgan, Gavin Dugas, Cade Beloso, Braden Jobert. And you're just like, any one of these guys can go bridge, boom, like that. And it's just, it's a scary, like, it's a scarier lineup. I think you're right. And especially when Nick Kurtz goes down. Now, I also think what kind of added into that feeling a little bit, at least for me, was you're right, it's baseball. And we saw them hang 22 on Alabama. And then they got out to Omaha and they went cold a little bit. Cold. And that yeah. happens. That happens to everyone, right? Like you said, it's baseball. Hitting is so difficult that, like, it is tough to consistently score double digit. I mean, what they did in regionals and super regionals, they were a plus, plus 59 run differential. Now, again, the pitching was obviously a step up. I wasn't saying they were going to continue to do that, but they really just struggled with timely hitting. I mean, when you look yeah. at it, they had opportunities, and they had opportunities with the guys at the plate that you wanted in both those last two games. When you had in game one, it was the seventh inning. They get first and second with Kurtz and Wilkin and 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 um, Johnson coming up, and then in, in last night there was uh, in the eleventh, right? You had first and second with Wilkin up, and those guys just went a little bit cold. And obviously, Kurtz was dealing with the rib injury the entire time, and uh, you know that'll affect you for sure. And, and look, Brock Wilkin just got a little bit cold and Brock Wilkins is a big ligger, right? Like that's a big league ball player right there. That kid's yeah. going to be a big mm-hmm. ligger. He just got cold at, at a time where it was unfortunately not And credit to the pitching pitchers that he uh, faced all week because they did a fantastic job handling him. 
Um, and you could see, but you could see in his approach, you know, when you, if you go back and you look at some of his at bats from the regionals and super regionals, he was so aggressive and on time for everything. You mm-hmm. saw him in the World Series and he looked in between every pit, except mm-hmm. for the first game against LSU when he got the two run single to tie it. That was the only time the whole tournament where it looked like, oh, that's Bron- that's him. Like that's that's what he looks like. He went up there, dead red fastball, smoked it up the middle. We didn't see that in any other bat for the entire tournament. And that, that happens. And even that 11th inning swing, it was a good swing. He was just a little off time, got underneath of it and flew out to center. If he squares that up, they probably take a lead and, and, and who knows what happens in the bottom of the 11th. So I think that it – but all of that being said, going into the port, like who doesn't – you know, when I think about it, like when if when I was at least coaching or if I were to still be coaching, when I think about the portal and, and what you're going to add when building a team, it's like, yeah, I want arms that have stuff or have thrown big innings, right, who have shown an ability. Like I want front frontline arms and I want big scary guys. Like that, yes. If you have an opportunity to go get, especially in that park, like you're saying, go get big scary guys to put in there and lengthen that lineup. Everybody's looking to do that, right? And it's a lot easier to do nowadays through the portal than it is um, via developing guys. Because it's, I mean, developing guys takes time. And that's why the transfer portal is a game changer. And that's why when you look at LSU, and, and I mean, there's the whole roster. Paul Skeens is a transfer. Tommy White's a transfer. Thatcher Hurd's a transfer. And on and on and on and on. They're all transfers. And there's nothing wrong with it. It's completely fine. And that's my question for you. Do you have as much of a problem as some people with what Jay Johnson said? No. Um, I do want to circle back at what you said because I do have kind of just my observations. But no. Look at the people that matter in college athletics. Nick Saban, Kirby Smart, these guys that run elite level programs, they never stop recruiting. They never stop talking about what it takes to be at that level. So no, not at all. Jay Johnson's just taking a book a page right out of Brian Kelly's book of saying, I want to build the Alabama of college baseball. I need to spend every waking second recruiting everywhere. That is something that you only hear in college football because that's the level that college football is even after one of the biggest wins. You don't hear Nick Saban talking about how the his backup quarterback's the reason why they won that game. No, he's talking about the great players in the transfer portal or through recruiting that helped him get to there. So, no, I don't think that there's anything wrong because elite coaches never stop laying the foundation for what's going to lead them to success. And I think that's what Jay Johnson was doing. Yeah, and I and and because I'm with you on that too. Like I had no like so many people took offense to it, and it's just like if that's how Jay Johnson wants to build his program, then Jay Johnson should be sitting up there and saying it. Because right now there's what I don't even know what the number is. I, I know Matt told me at one point, but I'm just gonna throw a random out that there's something like 1,200 kids in the transfer portal right now. So yeah, keep recruiting. And yep. it reminds me when you said that. Uh, during their first national championship year, Georgia beats Florida, and Florida Dan Mullen was the coach at the time, and he had been struggling to recruit. Kirby Smart gets up after the cocktail party; they had just, you know, beat the brakes off of Florida, and he sits in his press conference. And what does he do? He talks about recruiting. 
He sits there mm-hmm. and he goes, you have to, I don't care what you know, what you think you know. You know, he was, it was the nail, kind of the final nail for Florida in Dan Mullen's coffin. And Kirby Smart sat there and said, I don't care how smart you are, how much football you know, what you can coach, you have to have talent. And that's, that's the difference. We have a ton of talent. He sat there and recruited after one of the, you know, the, the biggest rivalry they play every year. He wins the game. He doesn't say a word about the game. He starts going on a recruiting pitch to more guys to continue yep. to recruit. You're absolutely right. Like, so, yeah, sorry. Like, if I really highly doubt, like, you know, I saw someone talk about how what a slap in the face to the guys that were sitting up there with him. You think Paul mm-hmm. Skeens, Tommy Way, or Thatcher Hurd cared that he made that statement? I don't. I mean, yeah, coach, you're right. Like, I transferred here. I love it here. This place is awesome. We're going to go play for a freaking national championship. Who cares? You know, people are too too sensitive about stuff like that. Jimmy's and Joe's will beat the X's and O's. And it's, it's like Taylor's, just plain I mean, and simple. The oldest adage and, in coaching. Yeah, and baseball a little less than football, but I think the the purpose of the comment was, and again, for – for people that complain about it, you don't know what Jay Johnson said to those guys in that locker room. Jay Johnson doesn't have to applaud his guys to the media because if he's doing his job, he's applauding them behind closed doors that you don't even know about because that's what elite coaches do. So that that's, means that's more. besides the point. He is – they know that bulletin board material for recruits is what media sessions are about for coaches at that level. And what I say to you in our meeting one-on-one is what matters, right? When I pull you aside during BP and say, I really like what you're doing, that matters more to a freshman than him going out and saying, oh, if you want to, if you want to play for the best team in the country and you're transferring the transfer portal right now, you need to sign up for here. And look, Florida just landed probably the biggest fish out in the transfer portal right now. And Colby Shelton, who went the morning of that game, like you yeah, don't the morning think that, of that LSU game. was in on that recruitment? 100% like that was, that, they probably, were. that comment probably stemmed from that a little bit too, right? Like these coaches 100%. remember everything. Yeah. Everything. And he, again, My boss at Goldie Beacon you, still talks about guys who recruited seven and a half years ago. Like they remember exactly. everything. If you want to be at the level that LSU baseball wants to be, you never stop recruiting. It is a 100%, 365-day-a-year activity for these guys. And with the transfer portal, that's the second time he's done this. during the Like, you know there's guys out there that he's trying to say that to, and that's the pitch he's been giving to them on the phone. That's the pitch he gave to them when they stepped on campus during the Super Regional on a visit, and that's the pitch he's given to the media because he's saying if there's any – and he's, he's even saying if there's any kids that want to enter the transfer portal – we're here and we'll take it. Like anybody who's elite across this country, you want to play for us and you're good enough to play for us and help us win a national championship. We are here to welcome you in, in Baton Rouge with open arms and you're going to get a chance to play and you're going to get a chance to win a national championship. And that's the only people he cared about receiving that message. Right. Like that. He He doesn't doesn't care care what what we, he doesn't care about what we think. He doesn't care about, and, and, and there's no look. At that level, and again, I, I know I've been on here and talked about how coaches that talk about winning and losing are are con artists, but at, at that level, loyalty is not the same thing as loyalty is at the Division right. Two and Division Three level. That guy, that is a guy that actually has to pick between his family and his, you know, and you as a freshman. He's always recruiting over you because he would get fired in a heartbeat if they went sub five hundred back to back years. 
The only people, that's what I said. The worst thing that Jay Johnson said in that press conference was this might be the greatest moment of my life. I was like, what did Jay Johnson's yeah, exactly. wife and kids think about that? That's who yeah. should be offended. Yeah. Yeah. Joe Schmo, who wants you know kids who commit to a college to stay there for four years, shouldn't be offended. Mrs. Johnson and their children should be the ones offended by that press conference. Mm-hmm. Not you and me. <laughs> Yeah, no doubt. So, uh, I mean, and back to your point um, about Wake Forest, I think that when I look at the offense specifically, and I don't even really know if you'll have anything to say before we move on to previewing the the national championship, it was a lot of defensive swings, even in hitters counts. Like high premium velocity really seemed to overwhelm the hitters themselves. And again, I don't know if that's a – recruiting thing i don't know if that's a skill thing i I don't know you know i I don't know but it was two games in a row ty floyd with a really good fastball a major league fastball not as hard as paul Skeens, seemed to overwhelm like did anybody on wake forest get to the pool side did anybody take an aggressive hat that you felt like like nobody hit a double down the left field line nobody hit a sharp grounder to tommy white on the third base line it was all the opposite way like a long fly ball i mean danny corona hits one to the wall and they hit a lot of balls off of thatcher hurt hard late in those that game wow a lot of balls hard so like i'm not going to sit here and say that the offense can't do it it's just a matter of what the biggest difference was, was not how hard Tommy White hit it in comparison to those other guys that flew out. It was where Tommy White hit it. And Tommy White's ability to pull the baseball at 100 plus, not hit it to deep center field or right center field where it's a graveyard, the, just the opposite way in general is hard to go big fly. There's a reason not many guys can do it. There's a reason why oppo power is such a big skill set that MLB teams look for, it felt like Wake Forest couldn't physically get to balls to the pool side because I just kept feeling like every inning that went by, I felt like every LSU hitter from obviously Cruz and Tommy White to Trey Morgan to Mr. Clutch himself, Gavin Dugas, Cade Beloso, you know, Josh Pearson, all the way down, Braden Joe Bear has been hot with the with the power stick as well. All the way down, it was like you're one swing of the bat away from losing this game, and that's what happened. I never – outside of Brock Wilkin being up, I never felt like Wake was one swing of the bat from ending this game. I felt like their pitching could keep them around long enough to maybe scratch one through. Right, safety squeeze a run home. Yeah, I did not feel like they were going to. And again, this is for an offense that went absolutely bonkers throughout the year. And maybe if we played that game at the couch in Winston-Salem, North Carolina, they put up six or seven runs. You know, I don't know. Maybe they do because it is smaller and the wind doesn't notoriously blow in in like it does in Omaha. And they would hit those balls 100 plus to center that get out or the opposite way even, but you just never felt like that was happening. Every time you go through the LSU lineup, you just felt like you were holding your breath because you knew at some point one of those guys was going to get one. Yeah, and again, I, I, I agree with you. That's exactly how I felt too. And, and what was weird to me, and again, I don't, I can't say, right? Just like you, you're not sure either whether it's a lack of ability or if it was just the offense getting cold. They were in a bigger ballpark and it just, they went cold, right? They, again, it was just a lot of, like you said, defensive swings and kind of in between. And a lot, I thought, 
it, it was almost like a lack of aggression. There was a lot of taken fastballs in both of those games the last two nights that are like pitches that you can do damage on, right? And like mm-hmm. we, I, I've heard you talk about it, and and I've heard a lot of offensive people talk about it. like sometimes it's just like damage pitches. Like it doesn't have to be a strike. It doesn't have to be the perfect pitch. It doesn't like you just there needs to be a damage pitch and a damage zone. Whether that's even if it's Paul Skeen's throwing one hundred two, if you're going up there and if you're like sell out fat, like he threw a lot of glove side fastballs the other night, a ton, and too many in my opinion that were taken. There were so many times where it was like a guy would come up and it would be first pitch fastball away to the glove side, and it's like at like. Aren't you looking to ambush at some point? Like when you watch it, when you turn to the major league game and you watch, you know, the best in the world do it, and you watch guys like DeGrom and Scherzer, a lot of times when they get clipped, it's an ambush. It's an ambush because mm-hmm. they are so good. And when you sit there and you try and like it's hard to outlast those guys sometimes. And I know, you know, one of the theories is always working the pitch count up. Well, yeah, a guy's pitch count goes up if you ambush a first pitch fastball and double in the gap and then do it again for a home run and it's two nothing and he still hasn't gotten an out yet. So, you know, I thought there was just, it, it, it just seemed to me more of an approach thing. Um, that was kind of my feeling on it. But I, I also had the same sense of like there was never any holding of my breath when anyone other than Brock Wilkin was at the plate for wake. There was never like a, Oh, this, he might go, he might go deep here. He might go deep here. Danny Corona a little bit, just because he, he was the only other one. I felt like that really, I mean, he might've been the only one because Wilkin didn't really, but took violent hacks and it was like, okay, like th- th- those are damaged swings. Um, no one else really, really did get those ace swings. And again, you know, when a is a true freshman, you know, I was a tough spot with Kurtz out, um, so like him and no, it, it's not know. even him. Yeah, it's, Pierce Bennett was a little disappointing. That, that had been yeah. there. Yeah, it, it, was, it, was, it was a lot of disappointment. But but you brought up Paul Skeen, so let, let's let's get into that matchup. But obviously, first let's talk about our sponsor, SeatGeek. So obviously, all of your ticket needs, anything from MLB concerts, anything you want to spend your summer doing. If you want to head out to Omaha and watch this beautiful series that we have, if you were lucky enough to be at Omaha, where we watched the best pitching matchup in college baseball history, which we've been 32 minutes into this episode and haven't talked about, which is super impressive. You can head over to seatgeek.com and use promo code backside ground ball. Again, backside ground ball to receive $20 off your first purchase. That's seatgeek.com promo code backside ground ball to receive $20 off your first purchase. So Dan, you talked a little bit about Paul Skeens and obviously what he was. I think, at least from my observations as we watch the game, I don't want to say I undervalued Paul Skeens um, in terms of what he's capable of. I obviously knew he was dominant. What he did against Tennessee was one of the most impressive things I'd ever seen at a on a baseball field at that level, it was legitimately what you'd expect from a three starter in the MLB pitching against college kids is what it felt like. Um, just overwhelming with heaters and fastballs and ton of bad swings, ton of late swings, all the things like that. The fastball against Wake Forest didn't have the same oomph, didn't have the same life, didn't have the same swing and miss that he had against Tennessee. But it was when he started working in that slider and that changeup where you really started to see, like, here's the swing and miss. I mean, he ended up punching out, what, nine and seven, nine through seven? Eight. 
So eight innings, nine and eight innings through eight. So, so not exactly his most dominant in terms of the swing and miss. A lot of early contact early in the game, but what Paul Skeens was able to do with what he would probably deem not his best of, um, and wrote it out through eight shutout innings was super super impressive. Yeah, I mean, I I don't think I ever undervalued him. I started to. Um, it was a little frustrating because, you know, and I, I don't blame them. They're trying to do the best job they can. The, the broadcast was certainly getting swept up in in the Paul Skeens um, hype because there was there is so much hype around him. Look, he's he's unbelievable. He's six foot six. He's two hundred fifty pounds. He looks every bit of it. Me and you were in a hotel with him in person. He's <laughs> a massive human being. Like it's true, um, and. And so, like, you know, there's all this fanfare and hype. So they got swept up in it, and, and that was kind of making me a little jaded last night, I think. But I never undervalued him. I think what was so impressive to me and what's been so impressive when I was, I was talking to a couple buddies last night during the game and mentioned this was, like, all year everyone was like, what, is Paul, what can Paul Skeens do to really solidify making him, you know, big league ready or, or one of the best pitching prospects in Strasburg? It was like, well – we haven't really seen a third pitch. He's fastball slider. He throws the fastball 80% of the time because it's so dominant. Yeah, He's gotten to the College World Series, and he's like, hey, everybody, look, I have a wipeout changeup. Like, he has a wipeout changeup that he's commanded. And I think the thing that is so impressive and why people are so infatuated with him is to see pure – look, Jack Caglione has a 97-mile-an-hour fastball from the left side. You would never put him even close to the same tier of pitcher as Paul Skeens. Why? Because Paul Skeens commands three pitches. Caglione can't command one, right? We see all the time these guys. Ty Floyd's even a great example. Ty Floyd's a good example of that. He is an elite fastball. He can't command it all the time. The the other two Florida starters, what's this? And I know there are people out there who like Waldrip more than Skeens. To me, I get it from a stuff standpoint, sort of. But for me, it's like the the polish on Paul Skeens as a 21-year-old still in college is what's so impressive, right? You see some of these top arms, even in the minor leagues where they are, who have this just absurd stuff that is super elite and has ace potential, right? When we put an ace potential stamp on a prospect, we see them get hit and struggle in the minor leagues with command and because they're not able to, to put the ball where they want to, especially with more than one pitch. Paul Skeens does that. He does it with three pitches. He almost never misses a spot. And when you have 102 in the tank and never miss a spot, like that's what makes you the elite of the elite. That's what makes you a Cy Young candidate. That's what makes you a true ace. That's what guys like Jacob DeGrom do. That's what Sandy Alcantara did all of last year, right? It was like, I'm going to be in the zone. You're not going to breathe. Probably not going to walk you. And I'm going to throw it where I want to. I'm not going to leave it over the plate. And that's what he does. And so – even when his fastball doesn't have the hop or the oomph, like you were saying last night, it's like, but he can still go to, he can paint a change up to Danny Corona away. He can, he can throw three straight, four straight sliders to, I forget who it was. It gave him four straight sliders. Tommy and Hawk. Like, it was Tommy Hawk. It's just like, that. that is, that is what pitching is. And that's like, that's the, the, the thing you want to see. And I would imagine a lot of these evaluators want to see from, from major league teams is, okay, you have the stuff to be a first-round pick. Can you polish it? And I, that's what's so impressive to me about him is he looks so big league. It's, it really is Strasburg-like. Watching Strasburg at San Diego State, watching Strasburg, you know, living in Delaware, Matt having, you know, 
access to mass and all my television and they would telecast his starts when he was coming up through the minors. I remember I watched a few of them and it was like this, he puts the ball where he wants and it's a hundred. <laughs> That's not yeah. fair. I, I think from my perspective on, and we are, Dan and I have already planned this out. So for our listeners that want us to really go in depth on the, the draft side of things, we will do that after Omaha. So I'm not going to get into Skeens' profile and, and things like that. I think what's even more impressive than the command is the effortless nature. If yeah. you took the radar gun away, it looks like me and you in the backyard having yeah. catch right now. <laughs> yeah. Like not, not even 92. Like if you told me it was 78, if you just <laughs> took his body and showed me like, oh, this kid throws 78, I'd be like, yeah, he's popping it. Like, no, that's 102. Like he is just absolutely letting it ride effortlessly. And obviously that comes with the caveat of like, with the injuries and everything that pitchers deal with nowadays that we do not need to get into at this point in time in this episode, you wonder if the body can withstand more because he's obviously strong. He doesn't have the mileage that, you know, some of these arms that have pitched for, you know, even three years or their whole life for, for that matter have because he did two way for a certain time at air force. It's super impressive. And I think what I meant by overvalue him is when I watch this guy throw, through the playoffs and through certain times throughout the year, I think he's better than a 1.69 ERA. Like I'm surprised he gave up 23 earned runs on the year. Like that's how good he looks when he's on. Right. And like, I know it sounds absurd, but like, like I said, it looks like a number three starter pitching against a college team is what it looks like. Like this dude is big league ready. And as long as he's able to command his stuff, he's unhittable. Like that's what he was over the last week. And it was just super impressive that you're, you can be surprised that he gave up seven home runs and 13 doubles. Like credit hat tip, tip of the cap to those dudes. Keep the baseball, keep the baseball. Ethan Petrie. That thing's going to be worth. Yeah, exactly. And like, he's going to probably have his fair share of, uh, you know, guys that he's clipped in his career and probably up to a big league career at that point. But, you know, and in terms of the Paul, or the Paul Skeen, Steven Strasburg cop, I have a hard time going there because as you talk through it, I kind of thought about you mentioned the third pitch. He had he flashed a good changeup. Steven Strasburg had an eighty grade changeup, an eighty grade curveball, and at one hundred one. I, I guess I'm I'm not so, comparing. <laughs> Just let me defend myself because there are wise, a lot of those yeah. comps. Mm-hmm. It's not it's I I don't remember a a college prospect. Yes, since Strasburg being this level yes, of good, this dominant. is what I'm trying to say because the profiles I think are even completely different. Yeah. Oh yeah, and and that's that's true. But like I said, like it, when Steven Strasburg was in college, I've, I'm sure whatever his ERA is, you'd be like, I'm surprised he pitched two or two. The same way I said Paul's. So the dominance factor of those two is definitely very very true, um, and definitely is there. I just wonder pitch mix if if that changeup is going to play as plus in at the next level. I'd be interested to see cuz changeups are so like there's no data that can tell you that a changeup rolls out of bed in this plus. It, it kind of just has to play plus. Um, but on the other side of the ball and and obviously one of our guys here and and a guy that we're super at, like was probably more impressive at least yesterday itself was Rhett Louder. Rhett Louder's ability to throw strike, the wipeout sinker, a lot of weak ground balls. We talk about LSU line, LSU's lineup being one swing away. I mean, his ability to just keep guys on the ground, avoid, you know, against Alabama, he had a couple balls elevated that were hit a very long way at the couch where it does play small and you 
I worried a couple times early in that game is if he gets elevated, I don't see Wake Forest scoring on schemes was pretty much my conclusion. It was like, Rhett's one mistake away from not having a chance at winning this game, right? And and it because of a mistake that he threw. And once he got going, it was, I mean, that slider and that change-up combo, I don't know where he's going to end up in a big league rotation. I don't know what his ceiling is. We've seen the reinventation of the sinker usage and the ability to use that. Somebody similar to the ilk of Logan Webb, right? We see him pitching at the level of top of the rotation arm over multiple times over the last couple of years. The changeup that he threw to Jordan Thompson that just <laughs> locked him up was just amazing. And that was, again, I, I got through – and. I'll be honest with you. I'll admit this on air. Baseball's boring for me at times, right? Like <laughs> baseball's boring. It is. Like no, no offense to the game. Love it. Obviously, we cover it. We love doing it. We love baseball. I sat on my couch for a pitcher's duel for an offensive guy and did not move until Tommy White hit that home run. Same spot on the couch. And that's rare for me. That is very <laughs> rare for me to sit there but that's because of how impressive it was to watch two guys at their peak, right? As as we stand right now, obviously you hope they continue to get better. But Paul Skeens and Rhett Lauder just being dominant. But what Rhett Lauder was able to do for the Demon Deacons was super impressive. And, and once we got through the fourth, I said, because I texted you this before the game, I said, the way this lineup stacks up, Rhett Lauder has to be the best player on the field for the Deeks to win. And I think as it stands yesterday, he was the best player on the field. And he was the two-time reigning ACC Pitcher of the Year. And he was the guy. I know Paul Skeens was great, but Rhett Lauder was the better player yesterday as it stands. It's about time somebody said it, because sure as heck no one in the ESPN booth had the guts to say it. Yeah, like My they goodness. literally just let Rat Louder just keep rolling out there at well, sixty every pitches time through they seven, and every time they complimented Louder, there was something about Skeens right behind it. It was driving me yeah. nuts. It was like this dude is the best player on the field tonight. Like you don't like, and and again, the way the whole tournament had been going, LSU's offense was hotter than Wake Forest. Paul Skeens yeah. has one hundred two in the tank. Rhett Lauder had to go throw zeros because the way Wake Forest had been swinging the bats, they weren't going to score off Paul Skeens. You knew that going into it. Everyone kind of felt that going into it. And Rhett Lauder went out there and gave you seven shutout and only threw, what, 90, 86 pitches, I think. Threw seven shutout innings against an offense that has the number one overall pick, a kid with 100 RBIs. Like guy after guy after guy after guy, and Rhett Lauder went out there and answered the bell. He did it with four pitches because he even shot a four seamer up in the zone a couple times at ninety five miles an hour to miss bats while he was sinking looked, it down. That looked legit. Yeah, he he had the slider and change up on a string. There's nothing I don't love about Rhett Lauder. I'm going to be completely honest. He is my favorite pitcher. He's been my favorite pitcher since the first time I laid eyes on him early this year. It was like this is my guy. He is unbelievable. Um, and you're probably like someone's going to get him in the top half of the first round and they're going to have a guy who's going to be potentially an ace at the big league level if he continues to stay healthy and be that guy i mean he is he's unbelievable the like we talk about skeens having through like Rhett louder it's almost like skeens has a fastball which helps this change up and slider play more right 
No, Rhett Louder has a legitimate three pitch mix that is elite. Like, there's, yeah, I don't know if, how anyone can watch that game and not agree with that statement. I mean, the, the sliders, the changeups, the fastballs, it was, it's completely impressive. If the sinker profile is legit, he has three big league pitches. If it's not legit, his ability to throw that changeup and his, his slider and, and changeup are both plus swing and miss pitches at the big league level. I don't know what the analytics say, but he made Tommy White and Dylan Cruz look silly multiple times with those pitches, and those are big league hitters as it stands right now, I think. Um, at least as close as you get. They're at least double-A hitters, right? <laughs> the fastball, you, you never know how the fastball is going to play at the next level. You never know. I think what it was last night of just an absolute bowling ball, I think that plays at the next level. There's no denying that. Now it's the ability to command it, right? The game against Alabama, that is not going to work at an A ball. Like you leave those two seams up that he throws, those get clobbered. If he can live at the bottom of the zone, which I believe he can, he's super athletic, he commands the pitches at an elite rate, he could definitely dominate with those two pitches or those three pitches. And and even if that thing doesn't have elite swing and miss, cause that's, it's funny because when you talk about the Strasburg thing, that's what Strasburg, once he got to the big leagues after Tommy John made a living off of was not an elite fastball, but an elite changeup, an elite curveball, throwing those pitches, commanding those pitches and using his fastball at 95 off of that. That's something similar that Rhett Lauder could possess when he gets to the big leagues, assuming the command continues to progress with him as he slides up the minor leagues and up the ranks. And let's all fingers crossed, fingers crossed he doesn't get drafted by the Rockies because screw oh. them. They don't deserve a first round no. draft pick because for Chase Dolander, Rhett Lauder, and Hurston Waldrip, it's just a you might as well just hang your cleats up and come join the podcast and be a co-host with us. Oh man, like, it'd be cool if we got to play Rockies, with Brent Doyle though. I'd be happy we get to play with Brent yeah, Doyle. Yeah, you'd be but happy. Other than but that, the, the, the Colorado <laughs> Rockies couldn't develop Nolan Ryan if he fell in their lap in the first round. <laughs> they would mess that up. So I will um, say real quick, I I will say about Louder's fastball, the Alabama start. It was a couple pitches, but then he still settled in and started to command it. Like that's the thing about Louder where. I think you saw multiple times throughout the year there might be an inning where the fastball command is off, but then he dials it right back in. And the ability to also do that, to be able to just not have a pitch for an inning and then two innings later find it, I think is something so underrated that people don't talk about enough when it comes to pitching. Is that ability, like, you know, people always say the cliche of you're not always going to have your A stuff. Yeah, but what does that mean? That means in the third inning, you might not have a fastball, but in the fifth inning, if you're truly elite and big league ready, you find that fastball. Yeah. The best in the league at right now, as it stands, probably the American League MVP does, or the American League Cy Young does it better than anybody. How many times have we seen Garrett Cole get tagged for six in the first and then go six innings? Six for six earned runs. You're like, at least not have the fastball in the first inning and then level talents do. Right. Right. Yeah. And then find it and be able to handle it. So we're sitting at, I mean, this is tough because Dan and I are through and through we have nothing but love for lsu baseball we have nothing but love for the demon deacons we've forgotten about the florida gators (laughs) and we're 50 minutes in and obviously (laughs) we are good or something super excited about what we watched last night 
Yeah, and we, you know, shout out to Leah, shout out to Les, shout out to Jacob, right? Jacob, yeah. I'm sorry, 50 minutes in, we're not talking about your love. We love the Gators too. So let's preview the final that we have. As much as it is fun to talk about Wake Forest and, and LSU, we're going to have plenty of time to talk about the Demon Deacons, maybe even some more in depth episodes about the Demon Deacons. Wink and a nod for anybody out there who wants a, a little preview of potential content that we have out there. So, Dan, the College World Series final is presented to us by Routine Baseball. Routine Baseball is where you can go to get all of your clothing needs. Routine Baseball offers a ton of options from shirts, hoodies, shorts, sunglasses, and any baseball style you could imagine. For all our fans out there, you want us boots on the ground in Omaha next year? You want us at Super Regionals and Regionals? Head over to Routine Baseball. Go to routine.com slash backside ground ball and check out all the different options. We would love to start traveling for interviews. We'd love to start doing in-person interviews. The more you use Routine, the more you use SeatGeek, the more you use BetterHelp, the more likely we're going to be able to do that. And you can receive 10% off your order today at routine.com slash backside ground ball. So Dan, the final is between two SEC teams. I really did want to get in a conversation about what this loss by Wake means for the ACC-SEC balance, but maybe that'll be an off-season topic because we don't have as much time in the world to do this. I'm just going to give it to you flat. We'll get into the details. This is Florida's national championship to lose. I know I've been down on the the Tigers. I'm sure there's LSU fans out there. I'm sure they'd live up our comment section if it went viral. But I just think, and I know their bullpen's been great, and I keep saying their pitching depth's going to be their Achilles heel. They haven't given up a run since I started spewing that nonsense. So obviously (laughs) they're getting that, that into their earbuds. This is Florida's national championship to lose. Yeah, and for me, it really doesn't have anything to do with pitching depth or bullpens or Paul Skeens isn't going to pitch. Like, that's tough. Yeah. Florida's had Florida's played this tournament. When you go to Omaha, the best way to do it is to go 3-0 and and kick your feet back and watch. And that's exactly – like, this has just worked out best-case scenario for Florida. They were on the right side of the bracket, which means they played first – they had two days off. They had another two days off. They're all fresh. Their bullpen's fresh. Brandon Neely, don't be surprised if Brandon Neely pitches in every single game. However, if this goes two, if this goes three, you'll probably see him in every game. He's rested. And you're gonna go, you're you get to set it up however you want. I mean, that's the that's the biggest thing here, right? I think it's you get sprout and you get Waldrip. And if they are gonna do this though, they're gonna need, you know. Rhett louder type performances from Sprout and Waldrop, who are very capable yeah. of giving you that, especially Hurston Waldrop. Hurston Waldrop can make himself a ton of money this weekend, and I hope he does because he, he has, has a, I think. I, well, but. he sure. I mean, he was dominant, but my point is, is like he can really solidify it. You take that lineup, and you got, you know, the big leaguers that we've talked about that are in that LSU lineup, and you do what Rhett louder did. You know, Rhett louder made himself a ton of cash last night. Waldrop can do the same thing, and. So it just sets up perfectly for them. That's why it's their national championship to lose. No skeins. They've had time off. Their bodies are rested. Now, LSU's riding a heater. Sometimes that matters in baseball. But so is Florida. It's not like Florida's completely kicked their feet up. They've won all three of their games have been by one run. So they've played in tight games. 
they've they've gotten hopefully the mishaps out of the way with 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 Coach O'Sullivan going to the mound a million times when he only has six. You know, I, I think that I, I I agree with you. This is Florida's to lose, but that doesn't mean the that LSU's old... not going to win. Like LSU, like yeah. If LSU continues to play defense and get the pitching performances from the guys not named Paul Skeens that they've gotten, like if Ty Floyd that showed up the other night shows up, that's huge. Another difference I will say, and then I'll let you go, is Florida's offense has performed a lot differently than than the Wake Forest offense has. I know Wake had the numbers and they were kind of known a little bit more, but like you want to, what what Wake you said at the beginning of the show is Wake didn't have those guys that scare you. Well. That, mm-hmm. <laughs> There's Wyatt Langford, there's Jack Caglio, there's Josh Rivera, there's BT Ryapel. They bop. They Florida has them. Yes. And the only person who likes taking mound visits more than Kevin O'Sullivan is JJ Johnson. Johnson. Jay Johnson. Yeah. You just make for a pitching We're have coach, a mound visit. They all. never send their they never send Wes out there. Like Wes never goes out. Jay just trots his way out there in the second inning for bunt coverage or something. I don't even know. Real Golly. quick, I know. Real, real quick. I know Skipper's listening to this. How come you couldn't do that for me? Why did I always have to go out there? Why couldn't my Skipper do that for me? I didn't like going. I had this conversation with him on the phone the other day. I said to him, I said I didn't like going out there all the time. He said he liked it. Why he didn't do that for me? I don't know. I don't know, because then then he would have to actually go out with like bunt coverages to run. He'd be like, he'd be yelling back to the dugout, be like, Peyton, what did you want to run again? Like, so that's why. That's a very good uh, point. But if they can line this up, you're gonna have Caglianone ready to come out of the pen on Saturday, tomorrow, tonight. If you're listening to this on Saturday, if they can win game one and then roll Waldrip out there. They're going to be in a pretty good spot. Um, there's no denying that. And when you talk about the offense, like it, that's just a matter of fact. We talk about the Jimmies and Joes. Florida's got the Jimmies and Joes. They got cool. three Brock Wilkins in the middle of that lineup, right? Like we talk about Brock Wilkin. You, you hold your breath until you get to Brock Wilkin with the with the runner in scoring position. Well, that's half of Florida's lineup, half right? And from the LSU, so that's where talent-wise, I think the the talent advantage is with the Gators. I don't think there's any denying that. I think that they have the better offense on the whole, one through nine, the ability to do it. They're playing their best baseball right now. And talent-wise on the mound, they have the advantage plus they're well-rested. Where does this come down to and where would I see the LSU Tigers winning this? I need Dylan Cruz to be 430 Dylan Cruz. And I know it's mind-boggling to me at this point in time because I said it to you and I've said it to you multiple times. I've never seen Dylan Cruz hit. And for a guy who's hitting 423 on the year, the fact that I've never seen him hit is mind-blowing to me. And it's it's like you literally almost get a hit in 50% of your at-bats. And I watch four a night for the last month and I've never seen you hit consistently. A lot of it, and not, not even like I know the batted ball profile is elite. It's elite of the elite, but like a lot of his hits kind of squeak through, right? Like it's like a lot of ground balls. He's on the ground a lot more recently than I think he wants to be. Can Dylan Cruz take over this series? Can Dylan Cruz be the 430 Dylan Cruz with power? You saw Tommy, like, look at what Wake Forest did to that LSU lineup. They intentionally walked Tommy White after striking out Dylan Cruz. 
don't think that that wasn't intentional, right? right. Don't think that Tom, Coach Walters didn't have that thought through already. Whatever the reason was, I don't know because Dylan Cruz is a great baseball player. But when you look at this lineup, when you look at what they have the capability of being, if Dylan Cruz is the best player on the field, the rest of that lineup starts to look so much better. You aren't getting shut out if Dylan Cruz is the best player because he's three for four with a double and potentially a home run, right? And he's in scoring position for guys like Tommy White, guys like Trey Morgan, guys like Cade Beloso, Braden Jobert, Gavin Dugas, who has a ton of clutch hits throughout the, throughout the year and throughout his career. He wears that eight for a reason. So it'll be interesting to see which Dylan – I hate saying like which Dylan Cruz shows up um, because he is still – probably the best hitter in the tournament, even though Wyatt Langford's going to give him a run for his money the way he's been playing. But if LSU is going to win this thing, I know the pitching depth needs to be the thing that, that obviously puts up zeros, but if their lineup's going to score against this Florida pitching staff, if Dylan Cruz can set the table and be the 450, 500 Dylan Cruz that we've seen, one of the best players, one of the best seasons we've seen in the SEC, they're going to need that to happen because that's going to be tough to score against these arms. Well, if Dylan Cruz does what Ty Floyd did and uses you as motivation, everyone get ready for the Dylan Cruz show this weekend because you went on here talking about never seeing Ty Floyd throw a strike, and he was absolutely electric against Wake Forest. So if, if Cruz listens, and uh, hopefully he does, he's going he's gonna to hit about six missiles for us. But, yeah, no, I, I think that you saw it last night. As soon as Cruz singled, it was kind of like this game's over. And that's what he yeah. does. If, if he is that guy and like the pressure it puts on pitchers to have a guy with his ability at the plate and then all those guys behind him, you don't know who to pitch to and you don't really have an out. Um, and, you know, that's where Waldrip needs to be so good and Sprout needs to be – Sprout needs to be so good is that you it, it kind of starts there, right? Like if you keep Dylan Cruz off base and you keep him kind of contained – then you can kind of navigate Tommy White and Trey Morgan and Dugas and below. So you can kind of work your way two through five. But then you, if you add Dylan Cruz, the, the guy who's kind of been consensus 1-1 for the majority of this year and this year's draft, you know, a player that is is, is a Golden Spikes finalist, getting through f- those five guys is really tough if, he, if he's got things rocking and rolling. And look, Tommy White has 100 RBIs for a reason. He's really good with runners in scoring position. So if Dylan Cruz is standing out there, there's a good chance he's going to get them in, and I think that is part of their path to victory. I also think they kind of, in a lot of ways, just need to continue to do what they've been doing throughout the first you know week of this tournament, of just you know kind of uh, pitching it and, and getting those performances from from the guys outside of schemes and, and the defense. I mean, we didn't even mention it when we were talking about that game. Trey Morgan saved the game. Trey Morgan, who is probably the most underrated player on LSU. He's my favorite, but he's probably the most underrated player on that team because of the other names. But that play he made, like, you know, people, he bunted it to the wrong base. They didn't like the call. I heard all kinds of things. And it's like, yeah, but look at the play it took. He bunted it to the wrong base. That's how you run a safety squeeze. Listen, I I got, I, I, I didn't make that statement. (laughs) I'm just telling you what I I heard. Listen. The play that Trey Morgan had to make, it wasn't a bad call. It wasn't a bad bunt. It was all executed. It was executed perfectly by everyone. Trey Morgan came flying down the line and made an, uh, one of the best plays I've seen a first baseman ever make, to be honest with you. 
So I, I think that's, you know, they, they can kind of stick with their game plan again, though. It's just, does Florida have too much power? Does Florida have too much juice in that lineup to be able to um, kind of outslug them with, because the starting pitching advantage is on Florida's side. So, you know, and the rest and the rest. And if, but if this thing gets to game three and you got to run Caglione, Caglione out there, he, he, he wasn't great against TCU. Things certainly get a, a, a bit more interesting. Um, but, you know, Coach O'Sullivan has Cade Fisher in his pocket. You know, we're going to see Brandon Neely. We're going to see Ryan Slater. We're going to see Nesbitt. We're going to see, you know, all those guys. So it'll be interesting. I mean, this is going to be a great – this is going to be a fantastic series. I mean, I, it's going to be just as good as all the other games have been. You think they – you think Paul Skeens' LSU's career is done? I do. I do. I truly you believe do. that. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I absolutely okay. do. Um, I don't think they're going to bring him back on three days rest. The only, the only possible thing is if, if you've exhausted everyone and it's Monday and you need three to six outs, two to six outs. Yeah, I'll I wouldn't even be say. surprised if you pitched out of the pen. I'd, I'd have Monday, a hard maybe. time imagining that. That I don't think they're going to want to bring him back. Start him? No, no, I, I don't think so. They're definitely not. going to I think there's start zero him, shot at him starting. It would be two to six outs. I could see a in the last, lead in the in the last right. inning. Of the I last could see him coming too. out of the pen. Not even game one. The last two. game. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know he's going to be I in Coach see Johnson's year. He's going to want the ball. He's going to get out there. But I, I just – I don't know. And and they've managed without – I mean, Riley Cooper can throw 365 days out of the year apparently. So um, Every day, Riley be, Cooper. It's just interesting because who would they even start on Monday potentially? When you look at what they've rolled, right? They rolled Skeens, Floyd, Ackenhausen. I mean, did Skeens, Griffin Herring not earn himself a, the he ball? He probably maybe? didn't earn himself a start. He probably did. But that's the pro. That's been my problem with LSU the whole year. Is like yeah. you don't, you can't who's, feel confident about a team that has that to, game? to draw straws. Jamie I remember Coleman. who started. Oh, that's right, Jamie, Jamie Coleman. Coleman. That has obviously been a weapon out of the pen. It's probably going to be Griffin Cooper Herring. Probably gets a start in game two. Or Ackenhauser. No, Ackenhauser. Yeah, he he earned himself a, another start after his performance against Tennessee. At least I would imagine it's going to be him. And yeah. then it's it's Griffin Herring. You're right. He earned himself a start. He was fantastic the other night. And that's a kid I really liked when we saw him uh, over Easter weekend in Columbia. Yeah, except he mopes around in the bullpen. He does but mope, but that's, that's fine. Some, that works for some pitchers. He's a mopey, mopey kid. Look, he's 18 years old, all right? There's a lot of hormones going on. He's growing. Hey, who do you got? Don't make me do this. Florida. I'll do it too. Florida. How many games? Oh, man. Florida in three. Okay. Florida in two. <laughs> LSU's gonna win. Phoebe, write it down. <laughs> he just he just put the jinx on Florida. LSU national champions. Don't even bother tuning in for our recap. Don't bother watching it. Trevor, just it's over. I've heard all I've needed to hear. And I don't really have anything other than the fact that I think they're well. Re- like I don't know emotional games. You tend to like sometimes that feels like the national championship. Right, and it's hard to turn 100%, it back on. One hundred percent. That that and and just the hype and 
how talented both teams were that felt like it felt like I was watching the national championship. So it is. And, 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 and yeah. just everything's going against LSU. And sometimes in my crazy brain, because I've watched enough sports in my life, sometimes that works. Like yeah. all of that helps you for some reason. You know what I mean? The fact that they have everything, like everything seems to be tilted Florida. That might just be what it is to push LSU. And then you stamped it by predicting Florida in two. Yeah, that makes me believe in LSU even more. Congratulations! I did, I did. It was my fault, so I, I'll already hopefully, take the blame for it. Hopefully, if they do win the uh, national championship, Jay Johnson can keep it together and uh, and and not go off the rails like Coach O. If you see an attractive woman at the gas station, that's probably the provost's wife. Don't say anything. It's my only <laughs> advice for him. All I'm gonna say is I'm gonna ignore that comment, and all I'm gonna say <laughs> is that. I think it would be really good, maybe not healthy, but really good for the growth of the podcast if somewhere in LSU they started publicizing that we are LSU haters um, because that's a fan base that's <laughs> I'm not very an LSU. Loyal. You're an LSU hater. They, I they am would, not. They would fill up our comment section with stuff about us being idiots. Um, good. And I'm sure they would make sure to let us know. So for the growth of the podcast, I am an LSU hater. I will be in your in your comment section. We'll get we'll get Leah back on the podcast, and she could tell me how stupid I am about, for being an LSU hater. But um, I'm going to stick with my guns there and and be the LSU hater of the podcast. All right, Phoebe has plans. Let's get out of here. <laughs> all right. Well, thank you to all our listeners. As that will conclude our episode for today. Make sure you're subscribing to the podcast on all platforms, including Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and anywhere you find your podcast. We post episodes every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. Sometimes Saturday. Sometimes we skip Monday, but usually we do Monday, Wednesday, Friday. Always hitting your feet at seven a.m. sharp. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter at backsidegb. Instagram at Backside Ground Balls and TikTok at Backside Ground Ball. Most importantly, make sure you're sharing with five friends and we'll see you next time on the Backside Ground Balls podcast.